This is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are helping to shape the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending as much time as possible up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who is doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know that this is the point where I politely ask you to go to iTunes and give the podcast a glowing five-star review. And then I emphasize that it only takes 15 or 30 seconds, and then the whole process is very easy and everyone should do it. So thanks again to everyone who's done that, and thanks again to that witty individual who left the five-star review that was basically just direct quotes from the movie Roadhouse. You either know me very well or you're a mind reader because anyone who knows me knows that being associated with Patrick Swayze is the highest honor. But then I realized the other day that I was kind of being a hypocrite because I continue to ask you guys to give reviews and I continue talking about how easy it is. And then I thought about it and realized that I've never actually given a five-star review or any review to any of the dozen or so podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. So, sorry about that. Um, You'll be happy to know that I went through and spent a total of about six minutes giving glowing reviews to every podcast I listen to. So, I'm hoping that that's going to make everything right with the world, and now the five-star reviews are just going to pour in. If you have a chance, go click the button. It literally does take 15 seconds. Subscribe, pass it along to other people who may be interested. And another confession is that in the end, I really don't even know what the purpose of the five-star reviews are, but I just always hear the other podcasts I listen to asking for five-star reviews, so I guess they know what they're talking about, and I guess there's a benefit to it. So why not? 15 seconds. Five stars. Thanks. My guest today is Ann Johnston. Ann is the executive director of the Crested Butte Land Trust, a conservation organization that protects land in Crested Butte and Gunnison County, Colorado. Given the focused geographic area in which Crested Butte Land Trust operates, Ann and her team have had to be very creative and nimble, and they use a variety of methods to protect a wide range of landscapes, everything from large acreage rural working ranches down to smaller parcels located within the city limits. Crested Butte Land Trust is also unique in that they must balance all the competing priorities of Gunnison County's various stakeholders, ranchers, hikers, bikers, skiers, businesses, tourists, just to name a few. In an area of the West that's becoming more and more popular, Crested Butte Land Trust's work has never been more important. I've long admired Ann's ability to think outside the box and, most importantly, her ability to effectively execute her plans. So I was excited to get a chance to sit down with her and chat. I was in Crested Butte earlier this week, so I stopped by her office for this interview. We had a fun conversation in which we discussed her personal connection to conservation, the challenges and opportunities of operating in such a tight-knit community, some conservation success stories, specific methods for saving land, advice to aspiring conservationists, and much more. If you go to the podcast webpage, which is just mountainandprairie.com slash Ann Johnston, there's a full list of all the topics we discussed, as well as links to interesting information that we reference. Hope you enjoy the interview. All right, you ready to go? I think so. 
Okay, awesome. Um, so the first question I've been asking people uh, when I start these interviews is when you meet someone, what do you tell them that you do for a living? It For me, it really depends on if I know the person or not. Yeah. If I don't know them, I sort of try to throw the whole kitchen sink at them. Yeah. You know, I'll talk about land, um, ranching or trail work that we do or uh, mining reclamation in addition to saving wildlife habitat. Because what I really want to do is see what interests them because mm-hmm. what we do is pretty diverse so that way hopefully i can make some kind of connection with them on something that resonates with them yep and so your official title is the executive director of crested butte land trust yes and in one of the earlier episodes i talked with eric glenn from the cattleman's land trust but i feel like you guys in the end your goal is the same to conserve land in throughout colorado but i feel like it's it's surprisingly different what the nuts and bolts of it mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And so can you just talk a little bit about Crested Butte Land Trust, what you do, what makes it unique compared to other land trusts in the state? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and I think I might ha- I might ans- have answered this a little differently a few years ago, but as I'm seeing more what other land trusts are doing, there, you know, there is a lot of common threads. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we do a lot of trail work. We do a lot of trail conservation easements, but like Cattlemen's, we still um, weigh just as equally valuable um, conserving the working ranches in in the community. Um, We, at the Crested Butte Land Trust, view corridors, the scenic views is a big thing for us, as Mm -hmm. as you saw coming around Round Mountain, really focused on protecting the views, which is a little less tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also do other things like mine reclamation work, um, so I think in, in many respects, I feel like we're pretty broad. We're, we're, we're very comfortable owning land. We're very comfortable keeping land in private landowners' hands and just working with them on agreements mm-hmm. on how to conserve it. Um, so I like to think what makes us unique is, is our willingness to be really diverse. But again, I do see that with a lot of other organizations too now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is because years ago when we met i felt like you guys because you're in such a small geographic area you can't you have to be pretty nimble and you have to be pretty creative in the ways to protect this land and so whereas a you know a lot of land trust will just put a conservation easement on a property and then go on to the next one Mm -hmm. you do the full spectrum Um, Mm -hmm. could you could you just talk a little bit more about um maybe how that's broken down, like how much, what a percentage is easements, what percentage is trail work that, you know, kind of, and then also maybe hit on the the balance of all the different interest groups you've got here in Crested Butte from recreation to ranching to tourism to, you know, every, all the different groups you kind of have to serve here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to, um, back up just a tad because as you were talking I think maybe one of the things that is unique about us is that we really because we are um, working and living here we are working on some some of some pieces of land protection that we call the connective tissues mm-hmm. so they might not be big acreages um, or super sexy projects but they're little things that a two acre um, parcel or a specific reclamation that we're doing that are really important to the community. So you're not going to see it if you're looking at land conservation with a with a bigger lens. But if you live here, you're going to notice Can it. Can you give an example of that? Um, yeah, like this last fall, we just um, 
move, removed a, a very large man-made gravel berm out of the middle of the Slate River mm-hmm. that was put, put in in like the 1970s with the intention to dry out some land. And we ended up owning the parcel that had the berm in it, and it but it was eroding the eastern bank of Peanut Lake, mm-hmm. which is a huge amenity for us. We walk by it every day. It's a part of our trail system. So we knew that we had to take that berm out mm-hmm. in order to save the lake from draining. Got it. Um, so just stuff like that that we notice because we're walking by it every day or we're riding by it and we're seeing seeing the erosion and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and how many people live in Crested Butte full-time, full-time residents? Um, I would say between the three towns, Crested Butte, Mount Crested Butte, and Crested Butte South, um, I don't even think we're hitting 3,000 year-round. Really? So, you know, it's a small community. I grew up in a really small town um, in North Carolina, and in small towns, everybody knows everybody. And there's, mm-hmm. there's good things about it, but there's also frustrating things about it. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I'm interested in is, how, you know, kind of the, the challenges and the opportunities of living in such a tight-knit community. Because mm-hmm. I imagine you've been doing this long enough that when you, or even if you'd only been doing it a year, when, when you walk down the street, everybody knows you're in charge of conservation in Crescent mm-hmm. Butte. And so I'm sure every, there are a lot of different competing interests, some you know, ranchers and mountain bikers and everybody in between. So what do you see as the best opportunity of working in such a, a kind of a small geographic area and some of the biggest challenges of that? I think um, we probably share challenges di- despite what size your community is. I mean, I think any nonprofit land conservation organization is going to say they are racing against time to do as much um, work as they can while they have the opportunity before um, a landscape might be sold or taken out of its natural state. Um, we're, you know, we're always looking for more funding, um, but I don't think that's particularly unique. Um, as a challenge here in Crested Butte, I do think our opportunities are unique because, because we can't go to the post office or the grocery store without running into a significant number of people that we know or that um, we may not know as friends, but we know as colleagues or we know that maybe we, we want to get to know them better. So it gives us a really good opportunity to be a neighbor and to overhear um, or, you know, people will tell you directly, like, I have a problem with this project because maybe it's a, like you mentioned, ranching and recreation. So it kind of gives us a a really first-hand um, notification. We, we're always, we know what's going on in the community. We know what, sure. what's making people happy and what's not. So even though you don't have it as much privacy, mm-hmm. you have that ability to, to, to do projects that's going to resonate with people. Because you can find, I've always found that you can find a win-win. Mm-hmm. You can find a way to make a land conservation project work Maybe not perfectly for yeah. everyone, but really well for a lot of people. Is there an example off the top of your head of one that maybe at first stirred up a little controversy, but then as you got everybody in the room and kind of figured out what everybody's interests were, you were able to make it a win-win? Is there something, one that sticks out in your head? I think we try to be super proactive and not get it to the controver- lot of controversy stage. I know one thing that we did, which is kind of simple, um, a couple of years ago, we purchased a piece of land out in the Slate River Valley mm-hmm. that is adjacent to our 
lower loop and loop and trail system. So a really nice connective piece, but it's also um, has been used by grazing for decades by uh, one of the local families. And that area is seeing a lot more use, recreational use. So, you know, we, we made a specific point. We knew as a landowner that we wanted to allow access at some level, but we wanted to wait. You know, the community was like, let's build the trail tomorrow. Yeah. And like, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait a couple years, as long as we need to, to really design it, make sure it, it works as, as well as it can with the ranching, the grazing patterns. And then like last fall was the first year that um, after we built it, that the uh, rancher was going to bring the cattle down. And so we talked to him and said, you know, what if we close the trail for you know, how many weeks would, would it be helpful for you for us to close the trail? And so we ended up closing it in the fall for not that long. I mean, maybe three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. We did get some mountain bikers that were, you know, kind of bummed about that because it's fall foliage season and it's a great time to ride. But I think once everybody sort of understood that, look, we're going to let you use the trail, we're also going to honor our historic commitment Mm -hmm. it didn't get to that controversial i mean you know there could be one or two people but generally i think people are supportive so that's how we really try to go about it you know before it gets controversial same thing with the snodgrass Mm -hmm. project that we did that you know we knew we had to work really closely with both towns before we talked about it publicly so can you talk a little bit about that project because i feel like that is a perfect example of win 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 for everybody mm-hmm. it's a win for conservation obviously win for recreation and a win for continued development responsible mm-hmm. development yeah um, because in a place like this at least my opinion is that there has to be some sort of development or else the town would just kind of cease to, to grow mm-hmm. but the development needs to be done responsibly yeah and i feel like what you guys did there kind of ensured that so would you mind just explaining that a little bit sure so that was a um That was a fairly um, large parcel on the eastern flank of Snodgrass Mountain, which, as you know, Crested Butte's always been very protective of Snodgrass Mountain. And there is a trail there that goes through that private property, an additional private, and then Forest Service. But it was not a permanent trail. So it's something we've been looking at for as long as I've been here. So um, it did go on the market. Um, You know, we thought that... It would not be um, put under contract in the immediate future, so we didn't, you know, we didn't uh, go in and try to work out something. But it actually went under contract, and um, I, I was, you know, having a lot of sleepless nights because I know how important that is to the community. And did I take too much of a risk to wait and see if the price would go down? All that kind of stuff that you play around with. But it did fall out of contract, and I was able to. Um, work with a landowner who um, was the owner of the ski area, mm-hmm. have a really good relationship with, with them, and only preserve a part of the ranch. So the ranch, um, I'm calling it a ranch, but really it's a, it was already preliminarily approved for development within mm-hmm. the town of Mount Crested Butte. Yep. So once I got the, um, the landowner to agree not to sell the whole thing, um, because I don't think it would have worked if we did because I don't think it would have been a win-win for the community. I agree. Um, so once we we were able to get the ski area to say yes, then we went to the town of Mount Crested Butte and said, you've already approved this for development. Is this area something you you think you really want to see developed? Mm-hmm. 
And the the current um, political situation up there was that no, they w- they really saw that as a a trail system and um, an, an amenity, a economic driver as a trail. Yeah. So once we got the okay from them, then we came down to the town who have has a better funding mechanism for open space. Mm-hmm. And you know, same thing. Would will would you be willing to put money into something that's already been approved by? another town so there was a lot of kind of unusual things but everybody was was into it and I had a lot of a lot of donors who came to me and said okay I talked to the town of Mount Crested Butte I talked to the ski area I'm donating because Mm -hmm. you did your your proposal isn't to eliminate all development up there yeah yeah and I think when you look at it and that was was my listing um so I, I know the property very well, but the the part that you bought it was I think it had thirty well, it was approved for thirty home sites, mm-hmm. and then the part next to it is approved to one day be the central ski village for Crested Butte because mm-hmm. it really is an essential ski village here. And so what you guys did, I think, is you you took that piece which is much more valuable as a community trailhead, you know, recreational center, and the kind of the entrance to the Gothic Valley, which mm-hmm. is just beautiful. But you left, and you know, thirty extra homes. Like, what, what's that going to do? And then it leaves the part so that one day, if the ski resort wants to grow, it can. But it can't sprawl. Mm-hmm. It's in a very tight 156 acre envelope, and surrounded by national forest and conserved land. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like that was. And then you, you raise money from Great Outdoors Colorado. Yep. Um, some mountain biking organizations, mm-hmm. right? One yep. percent for open space. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, it was a kind of a political type thing of going out and getting all these people on the same page. I, yeah. think, I think that's very impressive. Yeah. It was, written up, it was... In, written up in some magazines. I'll put link, links to everything um, in the notes for this episode. Um, but okay. Yeah, I thought that was... Yeah. I was very impressed with it that. It was so... It was, it was a really fun project to work on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to... I was just up there before we started recording, and I saw the new uh, trail signs up there. And mm-hmm. It looks great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's a that's a big win. Um, so when you're in this town, you know, there's unlimited opportunity for conservation, and like we were saying, they're different interests. How do you and your team prioritize what you want to work on or what needs to be worked on? Because you've got there are big opportunities like the snodgrass, yeah. and then there are these smaller, the connected ones. Yeah. So how do you decide? We, um, you know, we do have a lot of strategic planning. We we basically do a three-year strategic plan every mm-hmm. three years. And that, that really affirms our mission. Yeah. Um, and then we do a conservation plan, and then we have project selection. So we're pretty methodical about it, but the, the, the loose end of that is, is the opportunity. So when, when do what opportunities come up, mm-hmm. and then how do we match them with funding? Yeah. So we can do as much pre-planning as we want and as much cultivation with landowners as we want, but ultimately it's going to come down to what's available. Okay. And once that happens, like right now we have, you know, a slew of projects, um, you know, more than a handful that we're, we're saying, okay, which ones do we have to act on? Mm-hmm. You know, these are the willing landowners. Where are the, lo- the most likely sources of funding going to come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I imagine it's a moving target all the time you know as money money comes comes and goes and yeah um i think that the the funding cycles and the funding priorities um shift a little bit more even sometimes the shifts might be subtle but they do shift 
a little more than maybe the general public realizes. Yeah. It's not like a slam dunk that you're going to get money from X foundation mm-hmm. every year. So that's a, that is a big piece of it. But, you know, and we also love things that are connected, that build on and kind of leverage mm-hmm. stuff we've done in the past. So that yep. always brings things up in the priority level. So just to kind of zoom out a little bit, um, you're living in Colorado and being involved kind of partially in the conservation world. When I talk to people who are not in the conservation world, you know, very smart, overeducated kind of people, like the people in Boulder where I live, you know, everybody's got three master's degrees and you say conservation. And it's interesting because a lot of people really don't understand what that means, or maybe mm-hmm. they have a different definition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can mean anything from saving the rainforest in Brazil to saving the whales to what you do. So mm-hmm. what does it mean to you? What does conservation mean to you? For for our organization, conservation is, is more about saving land and water mm-hmm. in our – I mean, our, our community. Our community is Gunnison County. Um, but it's about saving the land and water. And we really look at um, the broad environment mm-hmm. and then go down into the ecosystems that we might be protecting. Um, and we always need to tie it back into the um, economy because we want to make sure as a small community that we're, what, what work we're doing is going to support an economy that supports environmental um, protection. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of got to be this looping circle. Sure. Um, and then that's that's the first piece of it. But once we finalize that contract and get all the funding and save the land, we have this perpetual obligation to take care of it. So we've always got to go out there and, and if we own it, we have to manage it. Um, we do more than, you know, it's more than fence building, although in signage, although those are components of it. But um, like like I was saying, removing the berm or doing some um, reclamation work. We're trying to keep those landscapes as healthy as we can because we want those ecosystems that were, you know, there's so many, like the wetlands right outside of town. I mean, thousands of acres that are providing some really important services to the town, the flood control and the water purification and all of that. So we really look at, so I could keep talking sure. about what it yeah. means to me, but yeah. it, it's pretty broad. Yeah. Well, I think it has to be. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about maybe the just a, kind of a brief overview of the, the nuts and bolts of, of conservation? So when you say save land, mm-hmm. what does that mean? It means um, taking, uh, remove, or let's see, it means bolstering the ability of it to maintain whatever natural fact uh, issues you found on it that you feel are important to be saved. Mm-hmm. So you can use the word save or conserve or protect or preserve. They're kind of all interchangeable, but they have different connotations to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, this is a broad brush, but it's either severely limiting or eliminating development potential on land. Would you say that's... I'd say that's a part of it, but you know, word. like, so... For some of the ranches that we um, work with the landowners to to save their ranch, um, we are keeping the ability for them to um, have some development. They might want a, a home or two for their heirs. Yes, yes. They might want the ability to you know to do um, 
have a hunting camp or something like that. So it, it is more than prohibiting development. Yeah, it, I, I guess I misspoke there. Prohibiting it or allowing development, but making sure the development's done in a responsible way that allows the yeah. land to, to continue to support wildlife and exactly. water and all that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Perf- yeah exactly. Okay. Um, and so Colorado is, um, I, in my opinion, is the most forward-thinking state when it comes to land conservation. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about why that is and kind of the, the advantages you see to doing land conservation in Colorado? You just mentioned that you were recently with a bunch of other land trusts from around the, the West. And so I'd be interested to know kind of how Colorado compares to some of these other states as far as the ability to get land conservation done. I think it stacks up really well. Um, I mean, we have our Colorado lottery system that provides a a significant source of funding for everybody across the state. So Mm -hmm. that's Great Outdoors Colorado. The state tax credit is really um, a great tool for landowners. I mean, they can get cash for it or they can use the tax credit. That's that's very uncommon across the country. Um, We have a lot of communities that have been able to pass bonds or sales tax. I feel like Coloradoans really enjoy mm-hmm. why they live here. They enjoy the the mountains and the the fishing and the hiking yep. and the camping and the you know hunting. So I think, and I think when you move to Colorado, you embrace that culture pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's really the people that are driving that enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, could you explain a little bit about that tax credit? Because I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand, but. It's a huge benefit uh, mm-hmm. for, for folks. Can mm-hmm. you explain how that works? Yeah, so the, st- the Colorado State Tax Credit um, can come into play if you donate or bargain sale a conservation easement mm-hmm. on your land. So if you still own your land, you're a Colorado resident or your land is owned by a Colorado business, and you work with a land trust to have this perpetual conservation agreement on it, which is going to limit some of what you can do. So... That um, provides a value. The, the conservation agrees, agreement diminishes the fair market value of your land to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And whatever that amount is, you know, you go through all the appraisals and everything and you can get a, this tax credit. Um, it it's, was passed by the citizens to encourage landowners to preserve their land. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, um, you know, you can... That just actually just earlier in May, the amount that landowners could receive was increased. Mm-hmm. So the program was started, um, and and it's conserved a lot of lands. and And the voters said we wanted to conserve even more. We want to be able to give landowners more of a benefit. Yeah. So just an example, and correct me if I'm wrong, but say there's a property that's worth a million bucks. Mm-hmm. You put a conservation easement on it. That reduces the value down to, say, 600000 mm-hmm. So that 400000 difference is basically considered a charitable, charitable donation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in Colorado, you get a tax credit for mm-hmm. that $400,000, and you can sell that for cash. Yeah, there's you have to go through some certain formulas. Sure, like sure. you get 75% of the first 100000 mm-hmm. and then 50% up to the uh, $1.5 million. Yeah. So you have to go through these these variables. Sure. But yeah. That's and the then, general idea. Mm-hmm. And so the implication for that is that a lot of these ranchers who are land-rich and cash-poor, yes. they're able to generate a, a huge amount of cash. Mm-hmm. 
yet keep their their ranches in in production. Yep. Um, to pay you know pay taxes or whatever, pass mm-hmm. it on to their heirs. Yeah, that I, I wish more states would adopt that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. This probably isn't the time it's going to happen in this crazy election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be right about yeah. that. Um, so. You personally, um, how did you get into this? How, how did you? How long have you been the executive director of Crestview Land I've Trust? I've been um, with the Crestview Land Trust a little over ten years, and been the director about eight and a half of those. Okay, so how yep. did you get into this? So I came in to land conservation in sort of a different way. Um, I owned a restaurant with my husband and we sold the restaurant um, and I wanted to do something a little bit different and I always really supported the concept of the land trust Mm -hmm. what I saw it doing without knowing a lot of the the details Mm -hmm. and started working here and um, my business background was really helpful in terms of the contracts and you know the 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 legal pieces the um, project due diligence side of it Um, once I started learning more about it, um, it just was such a natural fit for me because it's, you know, it's, it's, you, can, you can look at land conservation from this big piece of being strategic and, and doing something that lasts forever and, you know, how do you build upon your successes and everything. And then you can also come down to this, like you're talking with people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know whether they're a supporter and want to know what they can do to help, or whether it's a landowner, so I like all of that. I, I like the technical contracty side of it. Yeah, and it's I, very technical. Yeah, it's amazing. And when you look at conservation easements, you know I've seen some from the early '90s, and they're three pages long. Mm-hmm. And you look at them now, and yeah, twenty-five pages. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be be the kind of person who likes digging into the details. Yeah, because it's not just a contract for a limited period of time. It's a contract forever yes you know <laughs> so yeah you want to make sure you're thinking really um open-mindedly about yeah. what someone might want to do in a hundred years sure um so, so where did you grow up so i grew up in littleton i grew up in Bomar south okay i forgot and that. Yeah, um, yeah. i think that uh, you know it is so i have a degree in journalism and then i you know ran this business and it, it, it seems kind of strange, like, how, well, why did you get interested in land conservation? But I've always loved being outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of joke that I grew up outside. I have seven brothers and sisters, and I wow. think <laughs> my parents were like, okay, you had breakfast, everyone, yeah, go out. outside. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just, um, you know, it's a passion of mine to be outside. Uh-huh. And I think that, and seeing Colorado grow, I haven't lived only in Colorado, but I, I've, it's been my home for most of my life. So just seeing it grow and, and I, I, I love land conservation because it's, you know, it's a willing thing. There's no pressure. There's no regulations. We're doing this with people who also care about the land. And And it's bipartisan. Exactly. You know, both sides of the spectrum um, are pro conservation or more times than not. Yeah. Um, Which I think is is huge. Mm -hmm. You don't find that very often. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you look back at your childhood or college is there a specific experience that you had in the outdoors that you think back to? Like, you know, that was when I really knew I loved the outdoors or knew it was important to me, or was it just kind of your whole life you were outdoors? Yeah, I don't know that there was a... Sp- 
specific. Um, I, I do, I think in some ways, seeing how different communities grow mm-hmm. has always interested me. Sure. So, you know, you look at, I mean, Crested Butte's a great example, and we have, you know, community separate uh, green spaces between the towns and things like that. So I think that actually, more than being outside and, you know, trail running or having a great camping experience, is just over the years seeing how different communities have developed and wanting to be part of a solution that mm-hmm. keeps this, you know, great feel and usability of a community mm-hmm. while also incorporating nature into it. Yeah. And I think really if you think about Colorado, there aren't resort areas in Colorado, there aren't many opportunities like you have here because, you know, a lot of the I seventy um, resorts are long past. They've been de- fully developed for 20 years, whereas this place is still, it's a real town. It's mm-hmm. not a Disney World kind of thing. I mean, yeah. that's my fa- it's my favorite town in Colorado. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could live anywhere, this would be it. I'm jealous of you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, and so there's there's plenty of opportunity here to, because it's going to grow. Mm-hmm. If we've got 2 million more people coming into Colorado it's going to grow. Mm-hmm. And so and they, people are sick of I-70 and they're starting to come here. I know the resort's yeah. getting more and more skiers every year. So yeah. the work is very important. Um, you mentioned that you have lived away from Colorado for a while. Is that your stint in Hawaii? Part of it is, yes. I want to hear about, tell me about yeah. surfing. Surfing, um, so I, yeah, I love to surf. Um, my husband needs to be credited with that yeah. because growing up in Colorado, it wasn't something I really thought yeah. a lot about. But um, he and I met here, and um, he was always really interested in learning how to surf. So we, um, I have kind of a typical Crested Butte story in that I've moved here three times. Uh-huh. I've left twice and come back. So I've yeah. been, so when we've, we've left to go sort of just explore different things, and one of the first times we left we wanted to learn how to surf uh-huh. so I was pretty intimidated intimidated by the ocean yeah. just not really familiar with it so I thought well you know I've heard you know about this and that and let, let's go somewhere where we can kind of learn to surf and be a little bit more casual sure. and not not super crowded so we ended up moving to North Carolina first Hatteras I Island I forgot about that yeah yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm from yeah not Hatteras but yeah so after we moved there and, and got more comfortable we we decided to move to Hawaii. Got it. We spent a couple of years um, living on the Big Island wow. and just absolutely loved it. Yeah, surfing is um, its amazing. You hear all these people on TV talk about it and they say, you know, oh, it's spiritual and you think it's just kind of <laughs> surfer dude talk, but it's, it's true. <laughs> it is. It's the cool, I mean, I, I love it. I, I'd say it's my favorite sport that there is. Uh-huh. I, out here, there's more stuff. There's more variety. I wouldn't want to surf every day. But, um, oh, man, I love it. Yeah. And I think we took the tact, like, you know, if you really want to learn how to ski, move to a ski area. Mm -hmm. So you can ski or move to the mountains so you can ski every day. And so that's where we didn't want to just, like, you know, spend a vacation or two kind of not really surfing but paddling around on a surfboard. We really wanted to embrace it and learn how to do it. Well, I think surfing more than any sport I've ever done, you have to spend a really long time, especially if you start after age you know, 18, yeah. <laughs> you have to, you have to spend that much time. If you go skiing, you never skied before you can go somewhere. And after a week you can most likely go down an easy blue, but at least with me surfing, it took me three months yeah. of a lot, you know, five days a week to get to the point where I felt confident Yes, with the water, with 
you know, just actual standing up to surf. Um, it can be intimidating. It There's is. big waves. Every wave's different. Yeah. You and know? I mean, I was a lifeguard in high school, and I thought I was a good swimmer, but you get held under for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You learn uh, who's in charge there. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I have asked folks on this podcast is that um, I get approached by young people, either in college or young professionals, who want to come into the conservation or the kind of land world, or either they're early in their career and they want to make a transition into it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of uh, it's a sought-after field, and so there really aren't that many positions. So I think there's a lot more people who want to do it than are doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get approached as well. What do you? What kind of advice do you have for young people who are looking to get into land conservation? Well, I would say, oh, I read this quote. I wish I could remember. It was something about doing what you, the world needs more people who do what they really love mm-hmm. than, you know, having it be a specific title. You can do land conservation if you don't have that background. So, you, you know, land trusts always need people who know how to write and communicate and market. Yep. They need people who are comfortable um, raising money and connecting with people on that level. They So, I mean, you could... I think that the most of the time the people that come to us have an, some kind of environmental background, which is awesome, because when you're saving land or when you're monitoring or managing land, you do need to have that. But there's a lot of other ways that you can get into the field and then, um, you know, work your way into a different position. Mm-hmm. I think you're correct that there's always more people than there are positions available so I think you also have to be patient and just you know get your foot in the door and and do a great job sure and that's where you're gonna you're gonna get promoted or find the right niche for you sure um so I'd just say stay really true to what it is that you love and and just be a little bit patient yeah and it's it seems to me that the Colorado at least in Colorado the conservation community is relatively small and tight knit mm-hmm. and so you can make yourself known pretty quickly mm-hmm. if you get in there and and everybody's everybody's smart everybody's driven everybody works really really hard but they're also really really nice <laughs> which is great especially because in my you know my brokerage world a lot of the people are not nice and so it's um it's really refreshing to be to be in a community like that and you know i feel like you know, that's the same thing I've told young people is just get involved, you know, go to the CCLT conference, yeah. um, volunteer, yeah. you know, do volunteer, do monitoring. I'm sure you, you are always looking for volunteers, right? Yeah, we have a, um, a, a Wednesday workday and, and it is, it's a great way to get people to know you a little bit better. You know, not everybody has a lot of time to volunteer. We get that, but this is like two hours a month. Mm-hmm. And it just, if you start showing up for something like that, we're going to notice, you know, yeah. that I think is key too. So if you were just coming out of college and, or, or just kind of moving out West, knowing what you know now about land conservation, where would you, where do you see the biggest opportunities? Would you want to be, I mean, obviously you, you want to be here in Crested Butte, but are there any other opportunities you see that you would tell a young person, you know, that's a that's a great opportunity in conservation. That's going to be the up the up and coming thing. Hmm. Well, I think there's more of a connection. Um, communities are making more of a connection. Um, like we have a community farm um, project that we're 
we own the land and we're sort of working through some feasibility studies to figure out um, how and with whom we'll do that. Where is that? Where is that piece of land? It's located about seven miles outside of town on the way um, down to CB South. Okay. Yeah. 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 Neat. Yeah. How and big is it? It's um, the piece that we own is about thirty six acres. Wow, that's big. Um, yeah. So um, and we've had a lot of support. So there's there's some diversification, some some more community conservation because mm-hmm. you can you can also I know some organizations have been really helpful with. Um, planning for affordable housing so they might be able to assist because we know how to buy land we know how to do contracts so maybe there's an ecologically significant area that's adjacent to a piece that's not and so part of it could be conservation so i think i think that you'll see land trusts broadening the ways that they can help their community yeah um not not veering away from saving land as i say sure but adding additional benefits yeah that makes sense so they could kind of look into it that way into um, you know fields in sustainability or yep. just other related environmental. So this may you, you may have just answered this question, but where do you see conservation going in the West in the next twenty years? Into that, just more more diverse, more services you, you're providing. I I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also we'll see a continued focus on connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, working with um, areas, there's. I think there's also going to be. Um, right now, we have kind of this. We own the land, or we work with the landowner on the conservation agreement. There's going to be a lot of management, I think, where there's there'll be opportunities. So maybe we have this farm, but we're looking for people to manage it and farm mm-hmm. it for us. Yep. Um, I think that there'll probably be a lot of work even in maybe um, undeveloping important ecosystems. Uh, that makes um, sense. Like maybe there's some important, uh, you know, areas, you know, where rivers are flowing in or through um, towns, mm-hmm. like they do in mountain towns where we're working to kind of restore those areas yeah. and then maybe put the development in a different area. I kind of see some of that maybe coming up. Yeah, that's. I've never, uh, I've never heard anybody say that, but I think that's... That makes a lot of sense. And I think you could see private private companies, for-profit companies, could play a role in that as well. Yeah, definitely. Kind of this mitigation type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a great partnership for, you know, kind of public, non-profit, and, and for-profit mm-hmm. um, partnership. I, I heard um, from a colleague of mine about a, kind of a cool um, new thing that they're doing is they're working with a local hospital um, for people who are are being told by their doctors that they need to get outside more. So mm-hmm. maybe they have um, harder health issue, uh, weight issues or something like that. And so they're creating these ways for these people to, this is much more urban than here, mm-hmm. but for these people to get out and get on trails and, and identifying where there are benches and how long the trails are oh, and wow. what the terrain is. So I think, again, sort of that connective tissue of the community type thing. Sure. Yeah, and I would guess all of our... The, the way technology is expanding so fast, it makes it a lot easier than it used to be. You, know, mm-hmm. you could do a lot of that on a smartphone. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing you could change about conservation in Colorado, or really conservation in general, what would it be? Probably my answer would change depending on when you asked it. But yeah. since you're asking me today, yeah. I would say I think that a lot of there's a lot of opportunity to get more involved with local government planning. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think, you know, most communities have some kind of a zoning plan or, or three-mile plan or something like that. I think, I think it would be good to make sure we have a seat at the table mm -hmm. because, you know, I know you and I could talk for lengths about how beneficial land conservation is to a healthy community, mm -hmm. but I think that conversation needs to happen more often mm -hmm. when the planning is happening. Sure. So we can say, yeah, that's a great place for growth. What do you guys think about this as a place for conservation? Yeah. And everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Like thinking far out. I think that's a, that's a great idea because I think even though towns and cities have these parks departments or, you know, their planning departments, I don't, I don't think they look at it. I think you bring a different perspective. You would bring a different perspective than anybody they have. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. they, they don't do a good job, but I think the, yeah. more, the more info you can have to make a decision, the better. Yeah. So, you know, why not? Um, yeah, that's a good answer as well. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Um, so, oh, one other question I want to ask um, about, you know, what aspiring conservationists, people, young people, when you're looking for employees, you said you, you look for a lot of people have science backgrounds mm -hmm. um, or environmental backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Are there any other specific things you look for, either hard or, so, hard or soft skills that you're looking for as members of your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically no matter, well, so we're a small land trust. We have about the equivalent of five full-time mm -hmm. employees. Um, definitely looking for personal skills. Yeah. I mean, you know, no matter what your job is, um, whether you are tasked with exploring new properties for site inspections, you're always you, you're you're going to run into people. And so, you know, whether it's you know just a casual encounter, someone stops in the office. I'm huge on that customer relationship. Sure. Customer sounds like an impersonal word, but donor, landowner, community member, stakeholder, I, I, that is huge to me. How do you relate to people? Yeah. Um, it's also really I, I like to see people that are that are thinking about possibilities like might be a crazy idea but i want to hear it anyway mm -hmm. you know like really forward thinking positive energy um we have um fairly small offices so again that interpersonal relationship yeah. and you know focusing but just a um there's so much to do and you can come into the office with a very well planned out week and something happens that just yeah. switches it. So, so you've got to be, you know, flexible, smart, stand on your, you know, think on your feet. And it's a bigger job a lot for a lot of land trusts. It's a bigger job than the number of people you have. So mm -hmm. having somebody that's willing to step outside of the box of their job description yep. is awesome. Yeah, it, I, I agree. It all, it all comes down to people. <laughs> yeah. If you can't, if you can't get through that, get, that's step number one, and then everything else follows. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been asking people just kind of quick questions. You don't have to give me a super quick answer, but um, and I've gotten some really interesting answers. So have you? Do you have any favorite books or books that you recommend to people, or books you recently read that you like? I read a ton, so I'm always looking for book recommendations. Yes. Um, yeah. So one, I think the book I read most recently that I liked it was um, it's not fiction but it was Quiet 
Oh, yeah, about introverts? Yeah. Yeah, I've read that. By Susan that's a good Cain. One. Yeah, that's I really a, like that. I'm, even though I'm doing this podcast, I'm a huge introvert. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Like when we're finished, I'm going to have to go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's so a good one. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I love fiction. One of my favorite books that I've read, um, I'm going to forget who the author is, but um, The Time Traveler's Wife. I've heard of that, but I have not read it. It was incredible. Just such a creative book. I really liked that. I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, I like anything by... Um, I'll see. I'm going to blank out on the names. Um, about a boy, English writer. Oh, I know I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name. Though. Yeah. Um, right now I'm... I'm um, taking a class so I have been um, working on an environmental ethics class so oh really I'm reading I'm not reading any anything currently right now okay so. yeah cool yeah those are those are all good um, I'm gonna I wish I could remember the name I'll, I'll look it up and I'll Nick put Hornby Hornby yeah yeah, yeah Hornby. that's right yeah, yeah. anything I'll, he writes I I'll put notes I'll put links to all these books um, do you have any favorite documentaries or even movies that you like I need to get a list of people's favorite documentaries. I don't. I, I don't have. Um, have you ever seen 180 South? Mm-mm. You'd love about? that. The um, some guys down. go on a trip and they retrace Yvonne Chouinard, the guy who started Patagonia. Oh, yeah. They retrace his trip from California to Tierra del Fuego, uh, and they they're surfing, they're mountain climbing, they're sailing. It's just kind of this huge adventure all the way down the continent. Uh-huh. And then they talk a lot about Doug Tompkins and the work he's doing on his ranches for land conservation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you'd love it. I mean, mm-hmm. it hits everything you like. Um, yes, and of course I read his book, Let My People Go Surfing. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> that's on my shelf. <laughs> one of my buddies works for Patagonia and, and says the guy is just as cool. He doesn't have a computer. He doesn't have a cell phone. He just uh-huh. kind of shows up and walks around. <laughs> but he's, he's, a, he's a neat guy. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of good documentaries. I'll send you a list. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite location in the West? Um, anywhere in the in the West? Is there one spot? I, I'm never able to answer no. this question. How could you? I mean, when I think of the West, you know, California and that surf. Mm-hmm. Utah. I love going to Utah, Zion, that area, the desert. Yeah. Crested Butte. Yeah, Crested Butte. <laughs> that might be what I would say. It's Crested Butte. Just every, <laughs> everywhere around here. Um, is there, so if somebody comes to visit Crested Butte, what, and they only have one day, one hike or one run, what would you recommend they, they do? I don't know how to answer that because I think someone answered that question at one point and said 401 and now everybody goes and does 401 and it's like, (laughs) there's so many great trails. Um, I mean, if you only could do one ride. I would honestly say the lower loop. I mean, it's incredibly, um, it's not going to be the most, uh, the toughest ride that we have, yeah. but the, the scenic, um, the scenery there is just unsurpassed, and it's just right here, right yeah. from town. That's great. What about? But I would say to, you know, go um, early in the day. That's my favorite ride, whenever you go early in the day. <laughs> what about, um, what's it called, OB Joyful? Mm-hmm. That's a good one? Yeah. That's what I'm doing tomorrow morning. Perfect. I'm waking up early and doing it before Are you, I head back. You gonna hike it? I'm gonna do hike, go up, hike slash run, mostly hike, and then go along that ridge yeah. and then go down that gun sight road. Yep. Big loop. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I got to get up early because of this weather. So you could run from town. You could take the lower loop to go to get to there. Yeah, and then come back on site. I'll look at my map. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is always a good question. What's the cra- the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the outdoors? Hmm. Or it could just be craziest well, thing, period. Crazy. Um, I did get caught in a... Um, I had this incredible opportunity to sail with a captain friend of mine um, and my husband. We sailed down the eastern seaboard. We mm-hmm. sailed out in the open ocean. And as we were coming around Cape Hatteras, which is known for... Oh, yeah, the graveyard of the Atlantic. <laughs> This, this storm came up that we weren't expected, and we were getting green water over the um, front of the boat. So that was pretty crazy. We made How big up, was the boat? Uh, you know, I'm so bad about details. I don't remember, but it was a small sailboat. Um, but we, yeah, that was crazy. That's no joke. Yeah. And we made it in. We um, it had, a, I mean, it was just such an incredible experience overall. Just the three of you on the boat? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You remember uh, a few years ago when the uh, that boat called the Bounty sunk off of uh, off of Hatteras? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Randomly, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but randomly, I was in Nicaragua. My wife and I were in Nicaragua, and we stayed at this little bed and breakfast place. And there were some other guests there. and We had dinner. We were talking, and it was the captain of the Bounty, and he oh kept talking about God. it, talking and talking, talking. And then next thing you know, I see on the news a few years later, he, the boat he sailed it into a into a hurricane and died. <laughs> and you you know, I, I mean, was, even with I our experience, with it's like we we're looking at the weather all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you're gonna be forecasting these types of things, but occasionally yeah, nature, you don't get the rough forecast. Yeah, nature's right. in charge. Um, so, what would you say is the the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity? facing Colorado in the near future, say next 20 years? And it doesn't have to be related to conservation if, if you don't think that's the answer. I think that the biggest challenge could be what you mentioned earlier was the number of people that are projected to move into the state. Yeah. And just being able to manage it so that we can, you know, keep our carrying capacity. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be a big challenge for us. And... Opportunity could be, um, you know, we could have a good opportunity to demonstrate some beneficial impacts to water conservation, being yes. at the headwaters and, you know, that, that new water plan that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could be a good opportunity for us to, to demonstrate some techniques or practices that yep. other states could model. Pretty much everybody I've talked to has some water has come up in that answer mm. that's that is, i agree that's going to be the big thing um so if you can make a request of the people who listen to this and it's everybody from people involved in ranching to mountain climbing people to you know everybody just people who love the west what would it be i would say keep doing what you're doing outside and um you know just I always try to encourage people to, to, to get outside and enjoy it. So take a friend or introduce somebody new out there because I think the more we, more time we spend outside, the more we're going to have a, a huge group of people like we do in Colorado to take care of it. I agree with that completely. That's the first step. 
Yeah. Um, and the easiest one to yeah. get people to do. Yeah, and it's fun. <laughs> it doesn't require anything except having fun. Um, so how can listeners connect with you and Crested Butte Land Trust on the web and volunteering? Is, mm-hmm. how, how can they look you up? Well, the, the website's super easy. It's um, cblandtrust.org. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways to contact us. You can contact any of us, um, and we'll get you connected to who can help you the most with whatever it is you want to do. Um, you can always call our um, office, and you can always stop by our office. We're right in the middle of downtown. So we, yeah, this we, is a cool office. Yeah, it's got a good view. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we encourage um, people to reach out to us. Great. It's never a bother. And buy one of your calendars. I would recommend people buy your calendars. Yes. They're really cool. We have yeah. cool socks. Do you really? Calendars. I didn't know you had Just socks. got brand new t-shirts. I might get some gear. Yeah, there's all kinds later. of stuff. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much for your time. I think that's oh, yeah. great. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. So there you have it. Ann Johnston of the Crested Butte Land Trust. If you've never been to Crested Butte, I highly recommend that you go. It's one of the coolest mountain towns I've ever been to and I've been to pretty much all of them Uh, it's just a great place with unlimited outdoor activities in both winter and summer Uh, thanks a lot to Ann for taking the time to chat with me thanks to all of you for listening again if you have any thoughts or ideas on potential guests I should have or people I should speak with don't hesitate to reach out all my contact info is on my webpage at mountainandprairie.com or on all the um, social media networks. Just type in at Mountain and Prairie and you should be able to find me. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.